Hope you haven't gotten a chance to meet. My name is Wes. I'm our pastor here at Crossbridge, and I'm uh, really glad to have you here today. Joining us as you online, we're really glad to have you here today with us. Um, we've been talking about this idea of a rule of life, been talking about structures and practices uh, that we can use to help us grow deeper in our love for God and in our love for other people. And today, um, last week we talked about prayer, we looked at the Lord's Prayer. Today is actually, in a weird way, it's kind of prayer part two, uh, but a very specific aspect of prayer that I want to talk to you about today. And uh, to illustrate that, I actually want to tell you a little bit of a story here. Um, a, many years ago, I read a story of a journalist who was sent to Calcutta, India, to cover the work of Mother Teresa, uh, or now uh, St. Teresa, put some, put some spec on her name, and uh, anyway, that was a joke, so anyway, I'm sure online you're all laughing really hard at that. Um, so Mother Teresa slash St. Teresa, you know, like the holiest person in the world, right? Like the holiest person in the 20th century, and... Um, and she did this work on, with the poor and, and the, kind of just the forgotten on the streets of India. And Mother Teresa was approached by this journalist who'd come to study uh, her work and who had come to write about the work that she was doing. And uh, I think in the same way that Jesus sort of had with his disciples last week, that this reporter sensed, hey, when Mother Teresa like talks about prayer or like something spiritual, like she's like, I want some of what she's selling, you know, like she's got something that I don't have, okay? And so he goes up to Mother Teresa and he asks, Mother Teresa, you know, beg, well, let me ask you a question here. Um, when you, like, when you pray, like, tell me, what, what do you say to God? And Mother Teresa's response, without even thinking to this reporter, was, well, uh, when I pray, I actually don't really speak. I mostly just listen. Okay, okay. Sounds holy. Sounds a little different than me. Okay, cool. And so the reporter, you know, stupid sap, right? He did exactly what all of us would do. He said, okay, well... You know, prayer is a conversation between a person and God, so like Mother Teresa's not talking, so that must mean God is the one that's doing a lot of talking. It makes sense, you know, figured she'd be hearing a lot from God, you know. So he turns, he asks, okay, so like when you pray and you listen, like what does God say to you? And Mother Teresa fires right back, oh, well, God, he mostly doesn't speak, he just listens. <laughs> and the reporter, like, I, I can't remember in the story if the reporter actually asked the question or if like the look on his face asked the question for him, essentially. And Mother Teresa, just realizing how much this guy didn't get it, just said, well, that's really as good as I can explain it, and if you don't understand it, I don't think I can say it any better than that. And then she just walked away. Like, and like, like oh, wow, not holy enough for Mother Teresa, you know, I don't know, whatever. And Mother Teresa understood something about prayer and something about the value of one I want to talk to us today. And it's the value of befriending silence. Um, Job, some of you are familiar with this story. Job, he's a guy, very holy man. Um, you know, we're told he's an upright guy. Job loses basically everything he has, his health, his possessions, uh, many members of his family. And Job, at the very beginning of the book, he's, you know, as we all would, he's wrestling with the tragedy that he has suffered. And early on, in his kind of first speech when he's speaking to his friends, Job says these words. He says, I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Now, I hope none of us here experienced the loss that Job suffered in, in the book of Job, if you read that. But here's what I do want to propose to you today, is I think these words are words for our age. That, that if we will listen, our souls are saying the same message that Job proclaimed to his friends around him on that day. I have no peace, no quietness, no rest, but only turmoil. And that's actually the reason why silence is so deeply important. Here's a proposition I want to make to you today. 
is that our discomfort with silence usually, uh, I'm sorry, our discomfort with silence outside usually indicates something's wrong inside. Our discomfort with silence on the outside usually indicates something's wrong on the inside. We are really, really bad at being quiet. We are really, really bad at embracing silence. I actually thought about starting this message today by standing in the back for like 45 seconds and just letting you suffer in your seat, you know? Like, and like, I, you know, like I have a, I have a like kind of like a producing kind of background in, in my ministry career and that kind of stuff. Like, it's my job to be like the person, you know, that like is like go here at this time and do this and you know, like, like my job is to make sure we don't have any silences. Basically, I feel like a lot of the jobs I had in my first ministry job, and uh, and like it's just is like. It's amazing how something so quiet can sound like nails on a chalkboard to our soul, right? Because we are not used to this idea of silence and of experiencing quiet. And when we look through scripture, here's what we notice. That silence is God's prescription for the very, very loud world that we live in. And I think part of the reason is because it forces us to engage with him in a new way and it forces us to experience the help and the help that our souls need. Um, about six or seven years ago, I had a pretty traumatic ministry experience. It was just something that really racked me, um, left me really, really struggling. And, uh, I, you know, like, I, I kind of figured out pretty early on with all the voices I was kind of struggling on the inside, dealing with something bad happens, and you've got, like, all the, you know, not-so-great feelings on the inside that you're wrestling with. And so one of the things I would do, I lived alone at the time, and so I was pretty good. Like, I'm good about, you know, like a lot of people, I'm good at, like, throwing myself into work when things don't go well. And so I figured out that I could do that. You know, I'm at the house doing something. I've always got music on or a podcast on or whatever. But the worst thing was when I would go to sleep. And I lived alone in this house I rented at the time. And uh, sleep was the worst because, like, so one time when you got to be, like, quiet, right? And so for every night for, like, nine months, uh, until literally until like the night before I got married because I figured my wife probably wouldn't want to fall asleep to the Tony Kornheiser show podcast I like would listen to this ESPN podcast like over and over and over again like I would just set it to go it was like an hour-long podcast and like basically I'd fall asleep to this podcast right because I just could not my soul could not bear the weight of the silence because in the silence I couldn't escape what I was always trying to run from in the silence, I couldn't escape all the stuff that I, I really needed to work out and settle and deal with in my heart and soul, and I was just too afraid to. My discomfort with silence on the outside was a definite indicator of the struggle that I was experiencing on the inside. God offers us silence as a salve to heal us from the violent pace, from the violent volume that we subject ourselves to over the course of our lives. I want you to take a look. The prophet Isaiah wrote these words. He said, This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest, okay, those are like kind of quiet things, okay? Repentance and rest is your salvation. And then just so we get the picture, in quietness and trust is your salvation. I'm sorry, quietness and trust is your strength. And then he adds that little barb at the end. But you would have none of it. Right? The prophet Isaiah says, Listen, if you want to experience salvation, the saving grace of God, the activity of God in your life, let me tell you how you get there. 
quietness and trust. Isn't it true that quietness is a form of trust in God? Because when I cease from doing, when I cease from being, all of a sudden I'm unable to control things. You know, like this is something, I, I love to control things, okay? I just, I'm just going to freely admit that, okay? I like to control things because when I control things, I feel like I have some sort of stake in controlling how things turn out. That I have some sort of stake in controlling the outcomes. Quiet is really scary because quiet forces us to admit, I ain't got a whole lot of control. And, and I can't actually fill my life with the frenzy of activity to feel like I have control. The prophet Isaiah points us toward this truth of scripture that salvation comes with silence. That one of the most important and one of the most meaningful ways we can experience the salvation of God is in allowing ourselves to yield to and submit and befriend, not just tolerate, but actually come to enjoy the practice of silence in our relationship, in our communication with God. Um, some of you might be familiar with these words. They're kind of hope-filled words that sometimes we trot out every once in a while. They come from the book of Lamentations, which is always kind of weird to me that people like really love these hopeful words. It's from a book that's like literally crying, you know, it's like the name of the book essentially, but that's another sermon. In Lamentations, Jeremiah, this prophet, he's the guy that wrote this, he's a prophet, not a bullfrog, and he said, um, that's for the old people in the room, um, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail, okay? And he continues on, he says, they are new, your compassions, God, are new every morning, Great is your faithfulness, right? We're all like, yeah, I love great faithfulness. I love lots of compassion. Yeah, that's awesome. But here's what I want you to see is the context of these verses. Here are the next verses that follow it. Jeremiah writes, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Waiting is kind of a quiet activity, right? And he continues on in the next verse and says, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to, just so we make sure we get the picture, it is good to, let's just say these two words together. It is good to wait, wait quietly. quietly. We're going we're to say that again a little louder online. I couldn't hear you, so let's do this, okay? It is good to wait, wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I'm realizing how stupid it is I had you yell the words, wait <laughs> quietly. That was a good job by me. But Jer Jeremiah spells out, he says, hey, you want to experience the salvation of the Lord? My, my bro Isaiah was on to something when he said that. Hey, how about, how about we try a little bit of quiet waiting instead of loud talking? And then Jeremiah continues on, and he says, It is good for a man to bear the yoke. Like, Jeremiah, that sounds kind of aggressive. Like, I don't think, I don't, Jeremiah, like, yoke bearing? I'm not really all about that. Isn't Jesus supposed to release us from the yoke, you know, or something like that? And he says, no. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. And he continues on saying, um, let him sit alone in silence because the Lord has laid it on him. So like, hey, this act of silence is not something that's going to come naturally. It's going to feel like some work. But here's why I want you to understand. The Lord has laid it on. Like, this is a blessing from God. This is something God is giving to you. It is something God is offering to you. The Lord has laid it on him, Okay. And he finishes up saying, let him bury his face in the dust. Oh, that sounds really good. I'm looking forward to that, Jeremiah. Thanks a lot. But there may yet be hope. And here's what Jeremiah's saying. If we will embrace the practice of being quiet before the Lord, we might actually experience hope. 
we might experience the salve that our souls desperately need, but we don't realize it. Uh, what's interesting is Jeremiah, when he writes the book of Lamentations, the nation uh, of Israel and Judah, they're experiencing like upheaval. They're being exiled off into a foreign land. They've been, you know, they've been carted off. You know, they're sending turn off the lights. The party's over. You know, like they're doing all this kind of stuff. And everyone is understandably really, really sad. And Jeremiah says, hey, in your sadness, it might actually be a really good idea for us to just sit in it. And for us to just kind of kind of live with it for a little bit. To embrace silence so that we might discover salvation. Okay? Um, and so today, I want us to take a step toward experiencing that. Um, I found this 15-minute kind of silent meditation exercise. It's going to walk us through. It's going to be all here on the screen. For those of you online, um, you, I hope you can see the screen very well. There will be some writing and stuff on there. But if you cannot, you can go to this website, prosperchristian.com slash silence right now. And uh, you can actually access the church that we, uh, we Christianly borrowed, i.e. stole, uh, from. And you can go and access it there. Um, and, and kind of watch that and check that out along with us if you need like a better view of it or whatever. Uh, but it's about 15 minutes long. Um, it's going to be quiet. It's going to make many of us feel really uncomfortable because we don't like quiet. And we think, well, that's why I came in first class so we could yell and talk and, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? I'm with you on that, okay? I'm not a great silencer. Um, but here's what I know. If we are to take God seriously, if we take God in his word, embracing and, and befriending this practice of silence before God is a really, really important one if we want to step into the help that God desires for us. And so as we watch and wrestle with these instructions on the screen, I hope you'll really lean into it. And, and in fact, I, I hope that you will lean into this idea of, hey, this thing that I so desperately try to avoid, maybe it's actually the very thing that my soul uh, actually needs. I'll give you one story, and then uh, we'll do this together. Um, so I told you earlier about how I kind of suffered through six or seven years ago, this really difficult ministry experience. And what was kind of interesting was finally about nine months later, like it was just affecting my life. I thought I was hiding it really well, you know, being really tough and all that kind of stuff. And I wasn't. Like my friends basically, my coworkers basically had an intervention, which is always really great, you know, when your coworkers like, wow, you have a lot of problems and it's so bad that we're going to have an intervention for you right here. And basically what they said is, hey, you need to get over this. <laughs> and they were right. Like, like they, they're very much nicer than I just said, right? But they were saying, hey, you need to get over this. And the way you probably need to get over this is you need to quit trying to outrun it. And you just need to sit in it. And you just need to live in it for a little bit. And that was really hard for me. What's kind of crazy to me is um, I want to say that you know, I was perfectly healed. And in fact, even to this day, you know, even this week, I kind of recognize like, wow, I'm carrying some scars from that season of life, right? Just like a lot of us in life. When something hard happens, it's not like, you know, oh, wow, I've purged that from my soul. It's gone forever. You know, like that's usually not how it works. But here's what I can tell you. For nine months, I tried to run away from it and avoid it. And when I actually embraced the practice for literally two weeks, just choosing to say, I'm not going to try to run away from it. I'm going to live with it. I'm going to sit in it. 
It's kind of crazy how the healing that I was so desperate for for those nine months, it just kind of magically came. And it came because God met me in the silence. It's my prayer that in this moment here in our, our gathering together today, God might meet us similarly in the silence. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to watch this video. And uh, then after it's over, I'll come back up and offer a couple concluding thoughts for us here this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you offer us the gift of silence. And yet we too often do not notice it. We do not make use of it. And we do not embrace it. Forgive us, O Lord. Help us along with Jeremiah to discover it is good for us to bear the yoke of silence while we are young. It is good for us to listen and hear and simply to grow in the practice of being with you, even when it's a being with you without words. In the words of prophet Isaiah, Lord, may we discover that in repentance and rest is our salvation and quietness and trust is our strength. Not because it gives us access to some magic strength within us, but because it gives us access to the strength that only comes from trusting in you. Grow us in trust, Lord. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You survived. <laughs> One of my favorite stories in scripture is the story of uh, a guy named um, Jacob. And Jacob finds himself in the desert. He's been running, he's been afraid. Um, he has done something really stupid in his family and basically messed his life and the lives of all the people he loves and cares about up. And Jacob is running and running and running. He spent his entire life scheming. Jacob's name actually means deceiver. And there's this moment where he's running because he's afraid his family is going to kill him for what he's done. And he's in the desert, all alone in the wilderness. He falls asleep on a rock. And he has this dream. And God meets him in the dream. But the thing that's always stood out to me about that story is not the dream. It's when Jacob wakes up and he makes this astounding statement. He says, surely the Lord was in this place, and I did not perceive it. And the, the thing I want to propose to you today is that God is in every place. He is omnipresent. He is with us at each moment, at each place with every person, in every activity. He is always present. We often are not. And sometimes we are graced to have these moments where, like Jacob, we recognize, surely the Lord was in this place, but I knew it not. Silence invites us to receive the God who is in every place that you are. We simply are too quick. To often realize it. Peter, Jesus' disciple, you know, the chief disciple, whatever it was, uh, he said these words in uh, 1 Peter, a letter he wrote to Christians, just kind of in general. He wrote that your beauty should not come from outward adornment, but 
instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And so what God says through Peter, right, this is in the New Testament, right? So this isn't like some ancient Jewish thing that we don't have to care about anymore, right? Like this is, this is New Testament Christianity. This is Jesus died, buried, rose again. Peter says, hey, let me tell you something that God finds really, really valuable. A person who has a gentle, quiet spirit. Um, you know, the Bible, in the New Testament, several of Paul's letters, he writes about this idea of you should live a quiet life, right? And what he means by that is, hey, my life ain't trying to make a big deal of myself. My life ain't trying to draw attention to myself all the time. My life isn't trying to, like, somehow stand out from the pack. I'm just happy to take whatever God puts in my path, whatever God brings my way. I have a gentle, quiet spirit. We've been talking about rules of life to help govern our lives toward greater love and uh, for others and for God. And if I can add on to last week's things for you to possibly consider, I would just add this. That perhaps a good rule of life for prayer is to embrace the gift of silence with God. Um, you can structure this how you want. A guy named Rich Villadas, who's actually the pastor of the church that uh, I Christianly borrowed that uh, video from, he talks about this thing that he does called uh, silent prayer. And he says, actually, it's called, sometimes he calls it boring prayer because he feels like not a whole lot happens. But he talks about this practice of every time when he comes before God to open up God's word, we'll talk about that next week, and when he comes to pray, whatever, that he tries at some, a couple set points throughout the day just to embrace a few minutes of silence with God, sometimes just one or two, like we did in that video, uh, maybe five, maybe ten, if you're really crazy, 15 or 20, you know, whatever it is. But just to sit there and to focus on God, to receive God's love. We're told in the Bible that the faithful love of the Lord never ends. And so that instruction on the screen about, hey, receive the love of God, you know, if you're like me, you kind of think, oh, that sounds like a bunch of spiritual mumbo-jumbo that's on some card you got like Lifeway Christian Bookstore, you know, like that. Like, is that really real? Yeah, it actually is. The Bible tells us God's faithful love for his people never ends. God's love is always being offered. The question is, am I willing to sit, be silent, and receive it? And I'm not here to tell you that when you embrace silence and prayer, you're going to wake up, you know, oh, wow, you know, like that kind of thing. I'm not here to tell you that fireworks are going to go off. In fact, uh, much like the prophet Elijah, we may discover the sound of sheer silence. All I'm here to tell you today is it scripture, God's word to you and to me, to guide and direct us in our lives? Is that God meets us in a unique way in silence? Um, in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon, we're pretty sure, is the guy that wrote it, King Solomon. Why does this guy ever lived? He said this, there is a time to be silent and a time to speak. A couple chapters later, he writes these words. He says, um, guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Many words mark the speech of a fool. And Solomon says something that if we would just step back and think about it, makes so much sense. 
I am talking to the God of the universe who is more powerful than me, knows more than me, is present in every situation in a way I am not, who controls every situation in a way that I can't. Why would I spend all the time in this conversation being the one who talks? Why would I not embrace, like Mother Teresa told the reporter that day, the gift of being silent, of being with God, and creating simply the space that if God desires to speak, I actually hear what he has to say. There's a guy in the Bible named Samuel, and uh, Samuel, we meet him as a very, very young child. And um, In fact, in this weird circumstance you can read about at the beginning of 1 Samuel, uh, Samuel is actually offered into the priesthood by his mother, Hannah, uh, basically to fulfill a vow that she made before God of like, God, if you give me a kid, I'll send him right back to you, you know, that kind of thing. And so Samuel lives in the temple, and he lives with this uh, priest named Eli, who's very old. Eli has a lot of problems in his life. He's committed a lot, like there's a lot of corruption in the land. It's Eli's fault. And we're told at the beginning of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3 that in those days, the word of the Lord was very rare. And yet some of you know this story, that this little boy Samuel, he falls asleep in, in the sanctuary in the temple, and he hears this voice say, Samuel. And Samuel, because he's a normal person, thinks, oh, it's probably Eli. You know, he's old. He probably needs help, like, picking up a book off the shelf or, you know, I don't know, whatever, right? So he walks in. He says, hey, Eli, we need, man. And Eli's like, I didn't say anything. So Samuel goes back to bed. This happens a second time, a third time. And finally, Eli gets the hint. He realizes, Samuel, I'm not the one that's saying anything to you. I think God is trying to speak to you. And he, he tells Samuel to say these words that are so beautiful and so brilliant. He says, Samuel, when you hear someone call you again, I want you to simply utter this phrase. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. What a brilliant posture. What an amazing way to engage with God. Uh, when my wife and I were dating, um, she would sometimes use this phrase, um, where she would simply, she, in fact, I have note cards with them on. She would say, No words, just love. We're invited to experience that same sort of no words, just love engagement with God. If we will only have the disposition of the heart to seek it. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we give you thanks. For all that you've done and all that you are doing in this world. And we give you thanks for the gift of silence. Lord, give us the courage to receive it. And we pray this, God, in the name of Christ. Amen.